you have your Bible, I want you to join me in Acts chapter 14. And if you would like, because we are going to be looking at a map, uh, I, I have it on the screen, but sometimes it's hard to see. So there is actually a printout. If you want one, they're in the back. If you want one uh, and you just like, you want to slip your hand up, we have Connor who would be more than happy to, to bring you one of those if you would like. And then also uh, there are some, some pieces of paper back there for sermon notes that are uh, done quite wonderfully. And so appreciate that um, very, very much. But I want you guys to be able to see what it is and as we're journeying through this passage, because in Acts chapter 14, this is really kind of part two of the first missionary journey of Paul with Barnabas. And so let's jump in Acts chapter 14, follow along with me in verse one. It says, in Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both of Jews and of Greeks. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Therefore, they, they spent a long time there boldly, uh, speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who was testifying to the word of His grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided, and some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, and Derbe, and the surrounding region. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Well, before we continue, uh, one of my one of my favorite films and one of my favorite lines in this film is just simply, there and back again, a hobbit's tale. What we're kind of looking at in this moment is there and back again, a missionary's tale. We're, we're getting to see that they really did have something to tell, something to, to, to say, something to share. And I think that's true for all of us in our individual moments where we've had different opportunities to journey or to travel, to be on a mission, to be on an adventure, is we, we come back and we have stories to share. We have things to talk about that experience. And we're going to see that this is what happens with Paul and Barnabas in the course of this chapter. We, we also know that from personal experience that whenever you've had a, a chance to go on that adventure, uh, sometimes it's fun to come back and people are like, well, how was the trip? And you get to share about that thing that you ate or what the travel was like of, of the different transportation that you were on, the experiences that you had, the things that you saw. You're, you're ready to share because you got to have this adventure. You got to do this thing that was a little bit different from your regular routine and rhythm of life. And for the church, and specifically for you as individuals, for us as Mission Point, um, I, I've wondered at times, not all the time, but at times in the life of the church, I've, I've seen some people become uh, bored or disenchanted with the church or with ministry because it's it's become stagnant or bored. And th this is not a moment where in any way that if, if you want to go and hear a sermon, you can find many online of just people beating up on the church. That's not what this is. What, what I want for us is that we would recognize that there is an opportunity to be a part of what God is doing, that we can join him and experience some really incredible and adventurous and exciting things. But I wonder if at times when we even come to a setting like this, or you get gather together with your, your small group here in a couple of weeks, and as you're visiting, it's like, are, are we sharing the same things or are we sharing the new adventures and the new experiences that we've had and how it was, it was, it was exciting? And so I, I hope that we have opportunity and that you have maybe someone maybe sitting next to you right now, maybe a family member, or a close friend, that 
that you've locked arms, that, that it's just that close relationship that you're able to share about the journey and the mission that you are on for the Lord. And you're locking arms together to be able to be, to be, able to be a part of that. I, I hope that that's something that we would be able to share and have something to say because of the mission that we are on. And so very simply today, what, what I am saying is I don't want to make this sermon about you because I don't think that's ever a good sermon. Everything should be about the Lord. But I do want you to, when you walk away and go out into this week, that if you have surrendered your life to Christ, you have something to say. You have a word to share. So I want to pray to that end. Join with me. Father, as we come and as we take a look at your word this morning, I pray that it's not just the thing that we go through and it's just the routine of what we do in the course of a Sunday and in a you know, Sunday service, Lord. I pray that we have an opportunity to be able to, to be still, to be able to hear and just listen to what you have to say, Lord. And so where you're sitting right there, would you pray that God would give you the ears to hear of what he would want you to take away this, this morning? And would you also pray for the person sitting to the right or to the left of you? If there's no one on one side, just pray really hard for that person that's right next to you. But pray for the people to the right or left of you that they would have the ears to hear this morning what the Lord has to say. Well, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, you have something to say. You also have something that is worth sharing. And we even see here at the beginning of Acts chapter 14, it's map time. So pull out your map. If you can put the map up on the screen, I want to get you caught up to pace because if you weren't with us last week or if you joined us online, maybe it was hard to kind of see where we were going. But to kind of just give you a little bit of a recap, because again, Acts 14 is just part two of this first missionary trip of Paul and Barnabas. But at the beginning of Acts 13, the church at Antioch receives during the course of a worship service a word from the Lord, the Holy Spirit, to send out Paul and Barnabas, not, not, not to send out to proclaim the gospel because of persecution. That's how the gospel had been spread thus far, as people were scattered because of persecution. This is the first time we see where the Holy Spirit is saying, I want you to intentionally move from your place and go there. He's sending them out. And so what he does is he, he says, I want you guys to leave here from Antioch. So if you've got your little map there in front of you, you can see that as well. They, they leave from Antioch. They go to the port there in Seleucia. They make their way all the way over to the island of Cyprus. And they land in Cyprus. They journey all the way across this island, proclaiming the gospel. And then when they get to the other side of Cyprus, to Paphos, it's at this port that they have this incredible experience. Some of you will remember this from last week. They had this incredible experience of where the governor of that area says he's an intelligent man and he wants to hear what Paul and Barnabas have to say. He, he wants to hear about the Lord. And so they're eager to share with them, but there's opposition because there's always opposition. Sometimes we want it to be easy, but there is a kingdom of darkness and an enemy who doesn't want to make it easy. He wants to continue to blind and veil the eyes and the eyes of the heart of your dear loved one that you want to come to know Jesus. There's always opposition. So there's this guy, his name is Elemis. He's a magician. 
sorcerer. Uh, his other, his real name is Bar Jesus, which means son of, of Jesus. He's not Jesus' son. Um, but here he's, he, he's trying to disrupt and contradict Paul and Barnabas. And it's in that moment where Paul fixes his gaze on this guy and basically says, man, you're full of it. You're full of deceit. You're full of fraud. And he, he basically, by the power of the Lord, this guy's going to be blinded for a time, I believe, in, in an act of mercy and kindness of you need to kind of see your spiritual condition of darkness by being in a moment of physical darkness in the same way that Paul personally experienced when God blinded him, when Jesus showed up to Paul on the road to Damascus to persecute the church, Jesus shows up, blinds Paul, he's blind for three days. And it's in that moment that he recognizes, I, I, I have been on the, the wrong side of this. <laughs> I think I'm doing the right thing, but, but Jesus has just literally met me on the road. And in that moment, he, give, he gives his life to Christ. So it's, it's here at this point, they've journeyed, they've made their way across Cyprus, proclaiming the gospel, and then they make their way to Perga, here in the area, the region of Pamphylia. In Perga, this is where John Mark leaves. We don't know exactly why, but we know later on that it's going to become a moment of, of, of contention and strife between specifically Paul and Barnabas. It's really kind of a sad thing. But John Mark leaves. It doesn't seem they do much in Perga, but then they make their way from Perga to Antioch in Pisidia. And that's where we left off last week in Acts chapter 13, is they're in Antioch of Pisidia. They're, they're teaching there in the synagogue. It's Paul's first recorded sermon in all of Scripture. And as they are proclaiming the word and people are believing and surrendering their life to Jesus, opposition creeps up. So much so that there, as it says at the very end of chapter 13, it's not on the screen, but it's in your Bible there on your, hopefully in your lap or on your phone. It says people were persecuting against Paul and Barnabas, drove them out of the district, but Paul and Barnabas shake the dust off of their feet, kind of taking a page from Jesus in the gospels, shakes the dust off of their feet and they go on to Iconium. We're, we're going to move on to that next stage. And so they then they journey over here to Iconium in the it's, it's kind of in the region of Lyconia, but Lyconia, which you don't see on this map, Lyconia and Galatia are, are kind of almost, they kind of just merge. They're, I've looked at a lot of maps this week to where it's like, where's the real dividing line? But most would say this is really is kind of the area, the, the primary region of Galatia. And so now they're in Iconium, and it's here that they continue, even though they faced opposition, they continue to move forward and go on to the city of Iconium, which we just read about. You saw in verse 1, they continue that regular MO of their process and procedure of proclaiming the gospel. They go into a synagogue, and a large number of people believe. They, they surrendered, and they spoke up. It, it, it says many times, they speak up. They spoke boldly, but again and again, opposition comes up. Now, I, I want to key in on verse 3 of chapter 14 for just a second. Um, and if you're able to, can, can you put that on the screen? And on, in verse 3 of chapter 14, when it says they spent a long time there, opposition shows up, they don't run. They spent a long time there, and then they're speaking boldly. And in the translation that I have, uh, it may not be in yours, but in the translation that I have, I, I like that what they're getting is to the heart or the connotation of this, is they're speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord. They understood, Paul and Barnabas, that for us to accomplish the mission 
for people to come to know Christ, we may be vessels that are being used by the Lord, ready and willing, but it's God's work, it's God's word, it's God's salvation, it's God's grace. Without him, we are nothing. It immediately made me think as I was looking over, again, not on the screen, but some of you may remember Jesus with his disciples He's talking about the vine and the branches. You remember what Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Sometimes if we're not careful, we can get pretty good and pretty slick at doing ministry, at doing church And we don't remember or recognize that it's because of the Lord and our reliance upon Him. It's it's He, the Lord, who is testifying to His own word, to His grace. He's granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. It's God that's making this possible. So when you get fearful about the idea that the pastor of this church is wanting you to engage with more people and be intentional about those that you live, work, and play, and and wanting to have gospel conversations with them, and you're like, I'm not suited for that. Can I tell you, who is? (laughs) We all have different personalities. We all have all different tendencies of, of how we engage with people. But you cannot save anyone. Only God can. But as John so appropriately said, if we don't go and share, who will? It, it, it's, it's that responsibility, yet not responsibility. I'm responsible to share and to speak into them the, the life that is the gospel of Jesus, but understand that it's God's work and God's word. Now, another way that I, that I put this is, is Jesus needs to be the focus of your message and the fuel behind the mission. Say it again. Jesus needs to be the focus of your message and the fuel behind the mission. He's got to be at the heart of the whole thing. What you're proclaiming needs to be right about him. The reason why you're wanting to even speak boldly about Jesus or the gospel is is he's that power. He's that influence. He's that when we get down, when we get depressed, when we get discouraged, it's no, 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 no. He's fueling me on. He's pushing me forward because I do have something to say, and he's worth talking about. He's worth suffering for. He's worth struggling for. He's worth being uncomfortable for because he's changed my life, and the only way that your life will be forever changed is if you give that forever yes to Jesus and surrender your life to him, and you don't know why you need to do that unless I share with you the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Without him, we have nothing. There is no message. There is no mission. There's no reason to be here right now. But if we're not careful and we begin to drift and lose sight that he is the focus of the message and he is the fuel behind the mission, then there's four different areas that we can begin to drift down towards. And you've probably seen it, There's been different times that I've personally experienced one of these four, myself individually or even a part of different churches. But the first area that we could kind of drift into is legalism. If Jesus isn't the focus of the message, the fuel behind the mission, 
then what we have is we just have this legalistic mindset and mentality of this is the only method, this is the way, this is how you do it, and it's this idea of where there's just, at the heart of what we're doing, there's not a lot of grace. And I don't want us to be a people that we wouldn't say, you know what, we want to share with you the message, and it is, it's, <laughs> it's got some bad news associated with it, Because in order for there to be good news, in order for you to need a savior, that means you need saving. So that means that you're in a predicament. So that's bad news. But but I'm not just going to share that with you and say, turn or burn. I'm going to come to you and say, you need to turn and repent from your sin because there's a God who loves you that if you would surrender your life to him by his grace, by his mercy, you have eternal life. The other area that we can drift into is being ritualistic or religious or just going through the routine, going through the motions. Well, why are we doing that thing? Well, that's what we do. Why are we meeting on Sunday? That's what we do. I'm going to show up. I'm going to sit in that seat. I'm going to write the check. I'm going to be a part, but, but there's, there's no engagement. It's, it's just, we're just going through it all. It's, it's really the sense of it's dry. If legalism is not much grace, <laughs> ritual and routine, it's just dry, it's boring, it's bland, it's just what we do, and we're just going through the rhythm and through the motions. I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want you to be a part of that. That we recognize that there is a great adventure and mission to be a part of. The other is arrogance. We could drift into that if we don't make Jesus the center of the message, the fuel behind the mission. We can become arrogant. We can think, well, look at what we can accomplish with our resources, our abilities, our experiences, and our education. At the heart of that, there's no humility. There's no reliance upon the Lord. Let's look at what we can do. The other is, is ignorance. We're just blind to the fact that this is just an empty shell. It's almost a charade, and there is no grace, and there is no truth. I, I can remember specifically visiting with a dear friend of mine, who has been a part of a, uh, who was a part of a church that, that just an incredible amount of resources, an incredible amount of, 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 of members. And they had these resources, abilities, education, and they were, they were just, they were just going programs and ministries and all of these different things. And the, the comment was made that all of those things in and of themselves are great. Resources are wonderful. Different abilities that we have are, are fantastic. We, we leverage and capitalize those, those for the mission. But the comment was made of, of one of the key leaders stepping back and saying, in the midst of a worship service, he said, I look at all that we're doing, and this is smooth. There's nothing wrong with that. This, this, is, this, is, this is something else. But if the Holy Spirit slipped out the back door, would we even know? Would we even recognize that we're, we're doing this and we're not relying upon the Lord? And it terrified that leader within that church. And there was this desire of we're not going to be ashamed or frustrated with the blessings that we have. We want to leverage them, but we got to come back in humility and in understanding of grace that without him and relying upon him, maybe we can accomplish some stuff, but, but it's because of his power, his doing, his work, his leading. I want us to be at the heart of that. We're having to lean and rely upon the Lord. And so here they are relying upon the Lord. People are believing. But again, opposition comes up, verses 4 and 5. So much so it escalates. People are going to attempt to mistreat and stone them. And then you find that in verse 6 and 7, they, they, they become aware of this and they flee. Some people have read that passage and said, well, are they acting cowardly at this moment? And 
They haven't shown any cowardice at any point, in my opinion. But they're choosing to flee as they are aware of not just opposition, but perhaps the loss of their life. And what I would say to this is, is they spoke boldly. You can be bold and foolish. You can also be bold and wise. (laughs) There's a difference between the two. You can suffer for the name and the cause of Jesus, and then sometimes you can just suffer out of stupidity's sake because you aren't using wisdom. It's just, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. And so I would encourage you that if you do suffer, suffer for the sake of the gospel. Don't look to heap other problems or issues upon your plate. I got enough on my plate. I think you probably have a lot on your plate. There's no need to to bring more upon you. It's that idea of, again, the individual who's standing on the street corner yelling, turn or burn, and telling you how much God hates you. It's a method that could be used, but I personally saw and experienced this on the greatest college campus in all the land, the University of Oklahoma, where I can remember at different, different uh, parts of the campus, different street preachers would get up and they would begin to, to talk and, and share the, the word. And, and I'm not anti-street preaching, I'm not. But I'm not a fan of antagonistic street preaching of where you're just looking to rile people up and rile up feathers, because I saw both done, and one welcomed a conversation, one just welcomed confrontation. One welcomed this idea of, man, I went after those people, I told them how much God hates them and hates their sin, never told them about how much he loved them, that he would send his son to die for them, but I'm going to share this with them to try to get their attention so much so that they hurled things at me, hurled insults at me, they cussed me out, and I suffered for Jesus. And it's like, no, you, you just riled it up, but you walked away feeling good because you suffered for Jesus, and really you just brought unnecessary suffering to yourself. And so when you engage with the people, and we're intentional about doing that, those that are around us, that we live, work, and play, one, remember, again, you have something to say, you have something to share, capitalize on it, be bold, but also be wise. Allow the Lord to lead and remember that I want to share with you truth, But man, that has got to be seasoned and mixed with grace of understanding of what they need and how I'm going to meet their need. The whole point of this is that even when they flee to these other parts, these other cities, they're fleeing for the purpose and intentionality, as it says in verse 7, to continue to preach the gospel. That's the whole reason, as John shared earlier, as I've been saying since we started in January, this idea of gospel conversations of you as individuals, as opposed to saying, hey, we got this program. It's like, no, 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 I'm not, again, I'm not anti-program, but I am about us as a church recognizing that when you go out into your area of influence and environment, there's so many points of the spear that that can be going out and making an impact because it's your environment and your community that you live and work and play. And so what we've been asking you to do in the month of January is to truly think about who those individuals are and begin praying for them, developing a burden for them. Prayer is going to be what makes that, I think, most possible. Is you're, you're praying for them, you develop that burden, and then as you do, you want to put love into action, and as this kind of continues to build, you get to that point where you are able to have that gospel conversation. And as I've shared with you before, this idea of identifying and discovering who these three individuals are that you live, work, and play It might be three people that you live with, roommates. It might be three people that you work with, or it might be a mixture, but just trying to be intentional because what I never enjoyed 
is being a part of different ministries of go share your faith. You're like, okay, go make disciples. Okay. But, but I think if there's a desire to where we step back and go, we don't want to overcomplicate. We want to make it simple. And simply, these are just arenas and areas of life that you're already engaged in. And then if the core of who you are is a follower of Jesus, if that's core to who you are, what's core to you tends to come out. At the core of who I am as a follower of Christ, the core of who I am as a fan of the Oklahoma Sooners, it doesn't take me much to talk about them. It doesn't take much for me, especially in the football season, to bring them up. I imagine some of you who are Titans fans, you probably talked about them this week leading up to the game, and then maybe you've not wanted to talk about them since yesterday, but, but there's something at the core of you because you care and you're invested that you want to discuss that or you need to process what you went through yesterday. The same is true if at the core of who you are is Christ. Man, share that. It doesn't have to be in the pushy way or in the awkward way of you're sitting down with a cup of coffee and you're talking about, I don't know, the weather, and then you go, uh, they go, man, it sure is cold. You know what's cold? Being away from Jesus, you got a cold heart. It's like there, there's ways in which you can engage in these conversations because it's just a natural thing out of the overflow at the heart of who I am. Of You're not even meaning to on purpose per se. It's just I'm talking about Christ. I just want you to have that conversation with them. As I've said before, perhaps on your list of those three, on my list, there are a couple that I believe, I don't want to make assumptions, but I believe that they know Christ as Lord and Savior. But they are distant from the things of God, the people of God, the Word of God, the person of God. You know what they also need is some gospel conversation. They need to be reminded of the truth. Not to get saved again, because once you are in the hand of God, you're in the hand of God by the grace of God. But, but to come alongside, and there may be some of those individuals for you of, man, is anybody engaging with my grandson, granddaughter, daughter, or son, my, my, my friend, that, that I could be that person that could, could speak an encouraging word of life into them and who's better at life than Jesus. So I, I want to make that at the heart of who I am. Okay, so as we transition into this next section, I want to, to get back to the, to the map if we can. Look at your little handout if you have it. What you have here, so they flee uh, at the end of chapter 13 to Iconium. And at Iconium, they're about to be persecuted, about to be killed, so they flee again. And they go to Lystra, and it says they're also going to make their way to Derby. And so they go down to Lystra, not far from Iconium, make their way to Derby. This is where we pick up in verse 8. Look at what it says. It says, At Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who, when he, Paul, had fixed his gaze on him, had seen that he had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet, and he leaped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began, began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. So the priest of Zeus whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, 
They tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, and yet he did not leave himself without witness, in that he did a good and that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even saying these things, with difficulty they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. Now there's a whole lot that we could do, but I want to look at three specific things in this section. Look at, look at verse 9 specifically. It says he fixed his gaze. Paul fixed his gaze upon this individual who is, who's lame, cannot walk. It made me immediately go back to what we saw last week in Acts chapter 13. Remember the magician in Paphos? Remember the magician who wanted to oppose Paul and Barnabas of sharing the gospel to the governor? And Paul fixes his gaze on that guy, and he says, you are full of deceit and fraud. But when he fixes his gaze on this man... He sees that he's full of faith. I believe both of these he's, he, he's, he's ministering to, even the one, even the magician. But in one, he fixes his gaze, and this gaze to the magician, there's going to be almost this gaze of consequence. Like, you, 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 you kind of need to be startled out of your stupor and your blindness. But in this instance, in chapter 14 with this lame man, he fixes his gaze, and it's a gaze of compassion. He sees one full of faith, he sees this need to be able to walk, and he's, he's a part of that. When, when, when you go back, you can go back to the message last week and see how I think that Paul is ministering to the magician by even having him be blind for a time. But both, I think he's ministering and trying to get their attention to be pointed toward Jesus. He fixes his gaze. The reason why I bring that up is because I think there's an intentionality of are you seeing the people that are around you in their condition? It's true of what Jesus does in, in uh, I think it's Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus, he saw the crowds and he had compassion for them. He saw them. D- don't, when we even go through this, it can very easily become this programmatic thing of who, who are the three people, live, work, and play. And, and then we almost kind of get through the, the routine of it. It becomes a ritual, it becomes legalistic for us of, well, this is what the pastor wants us to do. This is what we're doing this year as an emphasis for mission point. And it's like, yeah, there's a discipline and an intentionality, but, but don't lose sight of who you're looking at. Individuals created in the image of God. They're valuable. Their souls are precious. Their issues are real to them. See where they are at. Second item I want you to notice, look at verse 11. In verse 11, it says uh, that they, this group of people, after this miracle of this lame man being able to walk, These people are so amazed by it, they say the gods became like man and have come down to us. Immediately, my mind went back to Acts chapter 12. I'm sure yours did too. Because in Acts chapter 12, you remember crazy King Herod killed James? And then he arrests Peter? And we wonder, is he ever going to get his comeuppance? And he does. But before he does, he has these people who show up and they're kind of, you know, just kind of sucking up to King Herod. And as Herod speaks, they're like, oh, this is the voice of a God and not a man. And instead of Herod going, that's inappropriate, (laughs) he seems to enjoy it. Scripture says he doesn't glorify God. And as a result, he dies. But in this moment, 
what you find is that a similar idea of like, man, these guys, they performed this incredible miracle. I knew that man. He could not walk. He's been lame since he was born. And now he walks. Supernatural, powerful. These men are gods. One, Barnabas, we're going to call you Zeus because you're powerful. And we're going to call you Hermes because you're the spokesperson, Paul. And, and they just begin to want to worship them. But apparently they have this discussion, this group of people of like, man, I think the gods are among us. We want to worship them. We want to praise them. But it says once they heard what they were going to do to worship them instead of God, they immediately said, no, <laughs> inappropriate. And then Paul preaches another sermon and points, points them to God, points them to, to Jesus. And you say, interesting story, Stephen, but why are you bringing that up? Because it's easy for us as individuals, when people kind of butter us up, to be like, I am pretty fantastic, aren't I? I'm pretty good at this thing. People like me. It's this idea, it's kind of a sports thing of like, don't read your own press clippings. The press will write incredible things about you as maybe an athlete or a sports team, and be like, oh, this is the greatest team ever. You lose, and they're like, I told you they're the worst team ever. And you just can't read and believe your own press clippings. We gotta, we gotta be careful when it comes to when we are doing ministry, that if we don't come back again and again, that at the heart of it, the message is Jesus and the mission is fueled by Jesus. If, if we don't stay there in humility and in grace, we can begin to go, look at what we have accomplished. Look at what impact we are making. Do we want to make an impact? Yes. Do we want to be intentional with those three individuals in our life that we're praying for? Absolutely, but we're coming back again and again. It's because of the Lord, and I want to keep pointing you to Him, not to me. I can't forgive your sin. He can. I can't save your soul. He can. I can't change your life. He can. And keep pointing them back to Jesus. As some of you know, uh, as part of the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, we have the International Mission Board, the IMB. And something that we started last week that we're going to continue to do uh, fairly regularly, is have some uh, missional education, ed educational videos that we're going to show you because one of the things I love about Mission Point is that when you give of your tithes and of your offerings, which unashamedly we, we encourage you to do, be a part of that aspect of our mission, uh, it takes resources that the Lord has blessed us with. But as we do so, what I love about Mission Point is just off the top, whatever we bring in, whatever we receive, 15%, just it, it goes out, it goes to mission. It goes here to the Concord Baptist Association where we currently meet and the ministry that they're doing. It also goes to our own missions effort um, as Mission Point. But then 5% of it also goes to the cooperative program, which is kind of this arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. And within that, that money is funneled to like our six Southern Baptist seminaries and to the North American Mission Board and church planting, new church starts. It also goes to the International Mission Board. In fact, the majority of everything that goes to the cooperative program goes to the International Mission Board so that we can get the gospel out to places who have never heard even the name of Jesus. I love that we're a part of that. And I was looking at some of those resources, and I found that there was specifically a prayer that was requested to be prayed by missionaries on the field that comes straight from this passage. And this is what they requested to pray. They said, please pray that we would, be, that we would overcome the temptation to be prideful in our work by the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, it's that idea of they want to rely on the Lord. And I said, we need to be praying for our missionaries that they 
would rely upon the Lord, not be prideful, when they experience some incredible things. But I also want us to adopt that prayer. That that would be a prayer for us as a church and as individuals, that we would overcome the temptation to be prideful. It could have been so easy for Paul and Barnabas to be like, they think we're gods, we could really run with this. Like, Do you realize how easy a life we could live here in Lystra? If we don't bring up Jesus ever again, we could be their God. We could be the one that they worship and give stuff to. Like It, it could be incredible. But because of their humility and their focus of mission and message, they said, no, 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 no. <laughs> Stop what you're saying. We've got to point you to Jesus. He's the one who makes this possible. Third thing I want to bring up out of this passage is in verses 15 and 17. Once they begin to talk to these people of saying, no, we're not gods, let's point, you to, let's point you to the one living God. As they do so, one of the things that I notice that's interesting is when Paul is speaking, his approach is different than when he's in a synagogue. He's not in a synagogue in this moment. Most of the time, his MO, his regular kind of rhythm, is he shows up to a city, he goes to a synagogue, and he preaches the truth. And he uses a lot of Old Testament scripture in order to point them to the Messiah, the one that was prophesied to come. But in this instance, most of these people probably aren't synagogue people. They're worshiping Zeus and Hermes, right? So they're, they're not going to probably even really know Scripture. He still quotes a little bit of Scripture, but what he does is he sees where they are at, and he goes there. He knows that they can see creation, so let's start with creation, and then I'll bridge it to Jesus. I'll bridge it to God. I'll bridge it to His grace. Same, same idea should be true for us, that we would do that. We saw Jesus do this. When Jesus was with the Pharisees, the religious leaders who knew their Bible, who knew about God, he, he, would, he would quote scripture all the time and say, you have heard that it was said. Remember Sermon on the Mount? But I say unto you, and he would teach them using the Old Testament scripture as a means to be able to teach the truth to them, that they would come awake to their need for Jesus. But then also Jesus met the woman at the well in John chapter 4. He did quote a little bit of scripture, but you know what he met her with? At the well, she's thirsty, she wants water, and he's like, hmm, could I use this object as a means to bridge a conversation to me, to hope, to life? I bring that up because when you are being intentional with those that you're around, we, we, we want you with those that you live, work, and play to, to be thinking in the month of January, praying for them, developing a burden but we're hopefully getting to the point of where we're putting love into action. Yes, to eventually get to sharing the gospel, having a gospel conversation, but in order to put love into action is we have to listen and observe and discover their need. Because sometimes I've been guilty of, what I think you really need at this moment is this, and it's like, no, 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 if you just listen to the person, observe their situation, just step back from your agenda and truly care about their need in their life, you might just see and discover what you really need right now is a physical need in your life. You need some food or water. That's what you need. And that'll be a bridge that we might be able to go to Jesus because he's the bread of life. Or it might be that there's a, a relational need, that they are just hurting and broken because of some kind of relational situation with a spouse or with a loved one or a friend. And it's like what they need is, is, is relational help or emotional. I, I can remember the church I was a part of in Oklahoma, we partnered with a church planner in Nebraska, and he and I would visit on the phone, and I'd be like, well, here's what we can come and do for you guys. 
And finally, someone pulled me aside and said, we can do all kinds of stuff for them, but what do they actually need? Our idea was to go up and like, we're going to do some backyard Bible clubs. We're going to do this and that. And the church planner, he was like, that's great. We won't say no, but you know what we really need? We need some of your men who do construction that would be willing to come to what they call the Jeremiah house. It was like a, a, a building, a unit where their kids could come and meet. And they said, what we need is we need new windows. That's actually what we need. They're broken. They're shattered. We can't really meet in here. And if you've been in Nebraska in the winter, it's not as much as maybe the Dakotas, but if you've been in Nebraska in the winter, it's intense and it's cold. And they're wanting to continue to have a safe space and environment for these children and their families to come together. And they said, what we really need is we need windows. And I'm like, well, how is that going to bridge to the gospel? It's like, they're meeting to have conversations about Jesus. It doesn't need to be you always being the one. It might be you being a part of making that more possible and accessible. So step back, listen, observe, and go, what's the true need that it'll bridge it to the gospel? All right, continue with me. Look at verse 19. It says here, so they're in, they're in Lystra, but in verse 19 it says, but the Jews came from Antioch, Antioch, Pisidia, and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, look at what they did. They stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city, and the next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. Uh, I just want to stop there. So he leaves, I, he, he's in, I, uh, in Lystra. He comes here because of the opposition in Antioch and in Iconium. And the mob mentality of those two cities is, is we're going to continue to come after you. So much so that they chase him down in Lystra, and they stone him. I don't think we sometimes comprehend what to be stoned is. It, they're, they're taking not just a little rock, they're taking a fairly large rock, and they're just chunking them at you to where it pummels you to the point to where you just, they kill you. They did this so much so that they thought Paul was dead, dragged him outside of the city, and left him there. Paul's friends, some of those who came to follow Jesus, I would imagine Barnabas, they go out to the city to get Paul, and then Paul gets up. This is what I love about Paul. This is incredible. He's not a coward. He's wise when it's time to flee. But in this moment, look at what he does. He, he gets up, knocks the dust off of himself, wipes the blood off of his face, probably got a little bit of a limp, and he goes back to the same city. He was just stoned to almost to death. He goes back to Lystra. But in wisdom, he's like, next day we're going on to Derby. I don't really want to, I don't really want to get stoned again and get hit by all those rocks. So he makes his way on to Derby, continuing to proclaim the gospel. And it says in verse 21, after they had preached the gospel of that city and had many disciples, they, they returned. I wanted to show you this on, on the map. This, this is what I just thought was interesting as I was studying the map, is He's gone from Antioch, Iconium. The mobs chase him down in Lystra, leave him for dead, stone him. He flees. He goes again the next day to Derby. He spends some time there proclaiming the gospel. And so at this moment, it seems to be that he's hit his last city. Right over here is Tarsus. Do you know Paul of Tarsus? You ever heard that? That's his home. He's closer to his home than all this other stuff. 
And I was like, you, you could go home. In fact, Antioch, where you started from, isn't that far. You wouldn't even have to get on a boat. You could just go over the mountains here in Sicilia and make your way over to Antioch. But what I love about Paul is I started these different churches in Galatia, Antioch and Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, and others. And he's like, I need to go back. It's an incredible display of courage and resilience to go back into the lion's den of where they tried to kill you and have opposed you. But he goes back, not just because. Look, look at what it says. Look at, look at what it says in verse 22. It says, he went back, returning to these cities, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. This, this is remarkable for him to do. He backtracks on his journey, goes all the way back to these cities, and it's almost this idea that maybe news even got around that Paul has literally been stoned almost to death. He's been opposed at every corner, and I can't help but wonder if the human tendency of some of these who are new in the faith are like, this isn't worth it. They're literally chasing this man down from city to city to kill him. Do I really want to follow and surrender my life to Jesus? And I love that Paul comes right back into those cities, sits down with those churches. Maybe he's got some bruising still from his experience, and he's like, you have something to say, and it's worth sharing because his name is Jesus, and he changed my life. So I'm coming back to show you and to demonstrate it's worth the tribulation. It's worth the hardship. It's worth the suffering. Don't be dismayed. Don't be depressed. Don't, don't, don't turn away. So much so I want to strengthen you. I want to encourage you. And I don't want to leave you alone. I can't stay here, but I'm going to put leadership in place, these different elders of these churches, in order to, to look over you and to encourage you because I don't want to just leave you alone and you're just trying to figure it out. We have elders within our church. Hopefully you know who they are. If you don't, John, Tim, Doug, me. Are you praying for your elders? There's a very practical application. Are you praying for your elders who are helping one to lead and shepherd this community of faith? Do you know the needs of Tim, John, and Doug to pray for them specifically as they seek to lead and be obedient to what God has set them apart to do for Mission Point? Pray for your elders. But Paul, as he goes back, Look at verse 24. He doesn't just stop there. He keeps going back to every place that he's been. And as he's doing so and appointing these elders, he's really hitting Galatia. So the next time you read the book of Galatians, now you know who he's talking to. And now you know that they understand this is the guy who showed up in our town, preached the gospel of Jesus. And even though he was almost beaten to death with rocks, he wouldn't stop. And so he does have that sense of authority to be able to write a letter to them and say, guys, you're drifting down Judaism uh, as Judaizers and legalism. Man, get back to the grace and the gospel that I preach to you. 
So hopefully next time you read the book of Galatians, it just pops a little bit more, understanding where he went and what he experienced as he started those churches in that, in that region. And so, verse 24, it says, So now they passed through Pisidia and came into Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atelia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And there they spent a long time with the disciples." Last chance to look at a map. It's very sad. Um, so he backtracks from Derby. He goes up to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, and he comes back down into the region of Pamphylia to the city of Perga. I told you earlier, when he was in Perga, that's where John Mark left. It's interesting to me that when that inc- uh, incident occurred, Luke, the writer of Acts, doesn't say anything about them preaching the gospel in Perga. It's almost as if maybe they were distracted by a disruptive situation, John Mark leaving. But when they come back through and backtrack, they camp out at Perga for a little bit and they preach the gospel. Then they make their way to Atelia, where it's another port. And instead of going back down to Cyprus, they get on a boat and they make their way all the way back here to Antioch. If you're like me, you're like, man, how did that all work? How far did they go? How long was it? I'm glad you asked. This is about 1,300 to 1,500 miles traveled. Boat probably a donkey or two, and by foot. 1,300 to 1,500 miles traveled. They did not have a Holiday Inn. Uh, they did not have the different things that we get to do when we go on mission trips. Like, this is, <laughs> this is, this is intense. And it took them about a year and a half, most people believe. A year and a half of their lives of going out, coming back. And what I love is as you get to the end of this missionary trip, the first that Paul goes on, plants these churches, proclaims the gospel, changes that region. He comes back to the church that sent him there in Antioch, modern-day Syria, and he reports to them, Paul and Barnabas report what happened. And the goal of their report from everything that I'm reading has everything to do with, look at what God did. Look at what God has done. We got to be a part of this incredible adventure incredible mission. It was hard. There was tribulation. There were people coming after us, but it was worth it. The reason why I highlight that is that they're reporting all the things that God had done with them. Maybe in your translation, I don't know if it says that, but I love that it says what God had done with them. Sometimes when we're doing ministry, we have this sense of, this is what I'm supposed to do. Pastors encourage us to really like pray for these three different people and engage them, try to love them in action, share the gospel with them. And yes, that's, that's what we're trying to encourage all of us to do as individuals. But, but as we do that, you're not alone in that regard. Because if at the center of your message is Christ and the fuel behind what you're wanting to do is Jesus, from what I'm seeing here is that God is with you. And even when God was with them, it didn't, it didn't prevent hardship from coming. They had some hard times, almost died. But God is with them. When you go forth, when you go out, God is with you. You're not alone. You're not only alone in that sense, but you're not alone that because you are a part of this community of faith. 
And the two things that I really want you guys to kind of key in on is like last week, we, we looked at this idea that we are to live sent lives and to live sending lives. And we see that with Paul and Barnabas. But, but as, as we desire to live that way, the thing that I'm wanting us to do with those that we live, work, and play is follow the example of Paul to speak boldly, but also that when we do, regardless of the outcome, that we would report what it is that we've experienced. And what I mean by that is this. Some of you are part of small groups, some of you aren't. Some of you have dear friends in here. If, have someone in your life, a dear friend of yours, brother or sister in Christ, that you would lock arms with and say, I, I want to join and jump in with this idea of being intentionally engaging people with the gospel and loving them in action. But you need to share what God is doing in and through you, that he's with you. Because one of the hardest things I found in ministry is we should be able and willing and ready to go it alone. But God doesn't design it that way. He designs it that he's with you and he designs it in a way to where there's the church and there's brothers and sisters in Christ who want to encourage you and come alongside you. And one of the best things that you can do is visit with that individual and go, let me tell you how poorly this went. <laughs> I'm going to give you the good, the bad, and the ugly. And sometimes when we are being obedient, and it is hard, we almost have this sense as, as followers of Christ, well, I can't tell you the bad stuff because that might deter or distract you. It's like, no, no, no. I need to sit with a dear friend of mine. This, this isn't going to be with everyone that you know, but with a dear friend of mine and be like, I got to have that conversation and I had this idea of how it was going to go and it just went off the rails in a way that I didn't want it to. And you get to share that with one another. But at the same time, you get to share those moments of, I got to have that conversation, and I, and I got to love this person in action, and it hasn't led maybe to a conversation about Jesus, but I feel like it's getting closer, and you're encouraging one another, you're strengthening one another, and you don't feel alone. So share within your small group, share with your friends, share within the church here at Mission Point, because you're not alone. If we'll do it together, we'll make an impact. And so with your head bowed and your eyes closed, as we dismiss in just a moment, we're going to sing a song you have a song to sing because you have a Savior who's worthy to praise. And as you do, the two things as you're singing or maybe before you begin to join and sing with these is take the time to continue to, to think about those three individuals that you live, work, and play with, who those are, that God is hopefully making that clearer and clearer to you. But, but take that time to also maybe identify right now who's an individual or two, maybe within this church family, maybe outside, but someone that is a trustworthy, almost accountability partner type person that you could share your stories, the good, the bad, and the ugly with, that you could report that to them. Last story before we sing, when we went to Nebraska on that trip, we went on a few different trips. <laughs> And we had the opportunity to walk down different streets and do some door-to-door -door evangelism. There were three groups that went out. There was an older group that went out, me and Tiffany, and a younger group, brother and sister. Me and Tiffany, we had some good conversations. But the older couple, Bill and Mary Lou, they had the opportunity to 
be invited into almost everyone's home. It seems so easy for them. The younger couple, just about every door seemed to be slammed in their face. And when we got done, they were really discouraged because what we did seemed to make no impact. But the reason why it's good to report is you need to kind of process <laughs> maybe that frustration, but you also need to hear God was at work. Maybe you didn't get to experience it, but you were a part of it. You were a part of the mission. You were a part of that specific mission trip. I don't know what your week looks like this week, church. I don't know if you've even been trying to be intentional of setting up an appointment with someone. We're about to get to that step. But sometimes it's not going to be easy, but friends, it is worth saying something about Jesus. I know it's kind of scary if it's outside your wheelhouse or your comfort zone, but nothing will change them except Jesus. And I know you love them and you want them to change, but nothing will change them other than Jesus. So Father, I pray for us as individuals right now that again, you would help us identify these three in our lives that we just have a heart and burden for. But Father, that we would also not go it alone. We know you're with us, but Father, that we would identify at least one, if not two or three others, maybe in this room or in a small group that we could lock arms with and journey through this together, journey through life together. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you guys stand? We're going to sing a very fitting song of what Jesus has done for you. After you've taken some time to pray, identify the live, work, and play, those that you want to report with, and lift up your voice because of what he's done for you. Let's sing.